This episode includes a conversation on mass violence and guns. So please take care of yourself and only listen if this is going to be a safe topic for you. If you need to talk to someone or need further assistance, the Disaster Distress Helpline is 1-800-985-5990. Please listen at your discretion. Welcome to the Nerd Party. to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm the other and most amazing magical host, Charles Sheeland. And today we are finally starting the third and final book of the Skinjacker trilogy, Ever Found, by Neil Schusterman. And in case you're new to our show or you need the weekly reminder, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network, we're best friends, and we read and reread young adult books from our adolescence and share them with each other. And this is a series I had already read, so I'm rereading, and Charles is reading the books for the first time. And as always, I'm enjoying the series, but I really am not really remembering any of the plot at this point, but I'm enjoying it nonetheless. I'm enjoying them too. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually just like... I'm enjoying it. I, it's fun to read. I like the characters. Yeah, I'm enjoying it too. Also, at the end of this episode, we'll be announcing our next series. So make sure to stay tuned to the end so that you can hear about that. Yeah, I'm really excited to make that announcement because it's a my reread and I'm so excited. But we're like really hitting a classic with the next one. So... Anyway, back to our current series. As the newcomer, I'm going to quickly summarize the plot of this reading. We meet Jix, who is a Mexican skinjacker, and he skinjacks animals, actually. And he infiltrates Milos's train, while Milos is trying to keep Mary's coalition together and stabilize her afterlights until she reawakens. Meanwhile, Nick and Mikey are en route to rescue Allie from Milos, Milos and Jill have also started this practice called reaping in which they just murder living people so that they will have a bunch of new afterlights for Mary when she wakes up. And then everyone is attacked by this group of afterlights called the Neons. So essentially we have a lot of chaos as usual, but again, most of our characters converge on a playground in the end and for a big battle and then Mary wakes up at the end of the reading, so that was it. I'm, for my impression, I'm really sorry, guys. That was a very bad summary, but there's just a lot going on. My impression was mostly just that I'm heartwarmed by Nick being who he is and Mikey and Allie's relationship. Like, I'm just excited to see how the three of them, how their character arcs end, because I like the three of them as characters so much. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that about the heartwarming feeling. Anytime I'm reading from, like, well, mainly Mikey and Allie. I still I feel like I have a bias against Nick that I just don't love his character as much. But as far as my impression, I just continue to be surprised by how much I do not remember of the plot at all. To be honest, I feel like at this point, I feel like I really only remembered the first book. And then like I remembered like how we got the big reveal about why you're a skinjacker, it's because your body's in a coma. So, like, I remember that, and as far as, like, looking towards the future and the ending, like, I really, 
I'm not sure how the series ends. So either way, I'm still very much enjoying it. It's always great to get the nostalgia of reading something you've read before, even if you don't remember it. But that's pretty much all I have for my impression today. Well, I think we can go ahead and start. So we start with reaping, which is what the evil skinjackers are doing. Evil skinjackers being Milos, Joe, Moose, and Squirrel. So essentially they plan and orchestrate accidents in the real world that cause a lot of children to die so that they can get more interlights. And I don't think it was discussed enough, personally, how sick it is what they're doing, because they're killing. They're just killing en masse. Like, they're like serial killers. Yeah, that's, yeah, what I wrote down, because this is, like, right at the beginning, that they call the murdering of children reaping, which, you know, just give it a fancy term and that makes it okay. But they're definitely sugarcoating what they're doing, and that's also something that I definitely didn't remember from reading this as a kid is, like, how many children they actually kill. Like, if we said from the beginning, like, in the last book, they killed hundreds of kids, and now... To the point where we are, I think in the reading, they've already killed like 200 more kids. Like that's so many children dead. And I just maybe like, I just didn't remember it like that at all. Like that's so dark. Like that's so awful. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying about like the way it's written. It's not actually discussed. So I'm not saying that like a reader can't figure it out. Like obviously a reader, like if you're reading it, you know that they're killing it. But like at no point. It's not being highlighted. Well, we're murdering them, you know? Yeah, it's very, like, well, also because the main times we hear about it is from, like, Milos and, like, the people who are doing it, they're the ones, and, like, obviously they're justifying what they're doing and they believe that it's the right thing to do, whereas we haven't really got as many, like, Allie, I feel like when she thinks of it, like, she feels so sick, like, she can't actually think about it kind of feeling. Also, it even, like, it's even just in the specific language. Like, when Allie talks about Mary's planned, she says Mary wants to end humanity. I'm like, okay, even that, I mean, while that is the same thing as killing everybody, it sounds way less bad when you say end humanity, you know? Like, or like mm, end humankind. I, like, I don't I'm saying think that, that that sounds any less bad. I think, I understand what you're saying, though, in the sense of, like, there's a lot of other things going on in the story that I feel like the idea that they're trying to kill all of humans is not really that emphasized in the way that it probably should be. Or, like, because there's, like, other, like, drama and, like, dramatic things happening, but, like, that's the big picture. Well, also, they're not even talking, like, I'm saying that, like, the literal act of killing is very infrequently discussed. They're talking more about, like, being an Everlost and how, like, an Everlost, you don't have pain and humans have to deal with all this discomfort. And so, like, they're making it easier for people by letting them, like, be an Everlost. But, like, there's, like, I, I just don't, as a reader, like, as someone who's reading it, it's not, like, the actual words, like, killing and murder are not really used. And I'm saying that, like, it makes it feel like it's way further in the background, like you just said. Like, that overarching yeah. thing is way less of a priority than I think that if the words were, like, specifically more violent as to what they're doing, I think that would bring it to the fore. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And I think that the reasoning behind that would be that, obviously, like, the target audience for this series is, like, Slightly probably 12-year-olds, so younger. So it makes sense that he wouldn't have wanted to use such violent language, even though he is talking about a pretty violent a very violent topic 
So yeah, that's I totally I mean. get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I was just like. I was like, you know. Which is probably why for me when I read it as a kid, like I said, I didn't remember it being this violent. Exactly. Like, that's what I mean. Like, I totally yeah. forgot this whole like this is a huge part of the plot and I did not remember that at all. Exactly. That was my point. So anyway, <laughs> speaking of reaping, Milos says that he lets them do the reaping because he wants them to get more afterlights for Mary because he wants to impress her. And for me, I'm just like Milos thinking that at one point or, you know, in the creepy scene at the end of the last book, when Mary like calls Milos my love and like has him kill her so that she can come back in Everlast, like he's basically convinced that he's replaced Nick in Mary's heart. Like to me, that's just laughable at this point because Yet again, another boy is underestimating Mary's cunningness and deceit because she's obviously just using Milos. And I don't know, I just, I did understand why this didn't cross his mind at all. But he does have a history of being betrayed and not seeing it coming from Jill and what he feels that Allie betrayed him as well. So I guess maybe he's being blinded by like his love for her, but I'm just like, like, Nick underestimated her in a different way. Like, whereas, I don't know. I just, I feel like these men, or I'm sorry, boys, because these are children, are underestimating Mary. And, like, she's a psychopath. She cannot be trusted. The only person she cares for, actually, is herself. So. Well, I think he's totally deluding himself. I agree. Also, like, this is something that I think is really good writing on Schusterman's part is that they are acting like such teenagers in specifically the words, the verbiage that they use to talk about, like, Milos, like, wants to replace Nick in Mary's heart. And that is such a teenager, like, frame of mind to how you think about, like, love and affection that, like, it's like a slot and, like, you can earn it. And, like, I mean, like... Generally, probably most people operate on the assumption that, like, romantically, you, like, love one person at a time. But, like, it's just the way that they talk about it of, like, even the way Mary, well, specifically Mary and Milos, the way they talk about it. Mary's like, maybe one day he will replace Nick in my heart. And Milos is like, one day I will replace Nick in her heart. And I'm like, the way they talk about it is so teenager, which I think is good writing because that they are teenagers, but also, like, it's just such a teenager way to think about it that like it's a transaction based like the feelings like affection and love are like so transaction based like if I do her a bunch of favors she'll like me more like when as an adult like you know that like passion and romance come from so many other deeper things not just like well she was nice to me this time yeah yeah, I guess I kind of interpreted that because obviously I'm not a teenager anymore, so I wasn't necessarily thinking like that, but I was thinking that he meant more like he wants to just replace Nick as like number one in Mary's heart. But yeah, I totally get what you're saying about, about it being like very transactional and that being very like young and teenagerish. It'll come back a little later. I think I have more thoughts on it that I want to mention later. But I feel like this is a good time to But introduce- either way... The only person who's number one in Mary's heart is Mary and her plan, her plan to like destroy the world. 
is at least how I feel about her. I don't really think, like, yes, I think she has strong feelings for Nick, possibly feelings for Milos, but I think ultimately, again, psychopath, her ultimate love and, like, what she puts all of her energy in is to, like, her plan for the world. Yeah. Well, also, again, yeah. I I think that there's something else later in the reading that's going to talk about this, so I'll save my thoughts for then. But... Yes, absolutely. Her number one goal and, like, ambition and life and desire is to be, like, is to be an Everlast as, like, fascist in chief. Like, because if it was actually about, like, mm-hmm. loving Milos, Milos could have skinjacked someone and they could have been together when she was alive. They could have physically, like, been together in a way that would mm-hmm. not have been an option while he was a skinjacker and she was just a regular afterlife. Like... That's not even, like, they had an option to be together in a whole new romantic way. And she literally chose, like, I want to be an afterlife ghost instead. Rather than be with you. So, anyway. Yes, that'll come back. Don't worry. I think this is a good time to mention Jix, who, like I mentioned earlier, he's a Mexican skinjacker who jacks animals. And he's a scout for this king or his excellency and that this his excellency we don't know who he is he made the wind that blows off of the mississippi river and he's also the one who cleared the afterlights out of the west and he also controls them all in a place called the city of souls so we don't know anything more about that this is just all the stuff that we've heard from Jix so far but that's kind of like our first introduction to him is that like the reason there are no afterlights when they cross the river is because they're all in this place called the City of Souls, and we don't even know where that is. Yes, and also, since Jix likes to jack animals, he specifically likes to jack, like, big cats, like jaguars, panthers, that sort of thing. And he's actually, like, changed his appearance to kind of sort of look like a cat. Like, he has, like, fur. So he he definitely looks very interesting, I'm sure. But besides- I was just imagining, like... If you remember in Harry Potter 2, when Hermione, like, takes the Polyjuice Potion for a cat, and she's, like, half cat, half human. Oh, or I was thinking, like, the, you know, most recent atrocious thing of the Cats movie. <laughs> the oh. trailers for that. Yeah, actually, that probably is more accurate. That's what I was like, imagining. The in the but, book. like, not as extreme, like, because I think he still has, like, pants on. Yeah, he's more human than cat, whereas the like, Cats movie were, like... I don't think he has a like, tail, but... Yeah. I think it's more like he his doesn't. skin. But he has, has pointy ears. Yeah, his pointy ears and like his skin has taken on the appearance of like a cheetah or a jaguar or something, and it's he has like fur. But like yeah. I think he still has like a human face. Like I don't Also, know. I like how you pronounce it. I've never heard you pronounce that word. You pronounce it with British English. What word? Jaguar. Jaguar? What did I say? The way you say it, Jaguar, is British English. Really? I'm yes. Americans say jaguar and Brits jaguar? say jaguar. I've never heard that before. I've always thought heard of it as jaguar, but who knows? I mean, we maybe know I'm I wrong. barely speak English as it is. <laughs> I struggle with maybe I'm wrong. Maybe jaguar too. is the British and jaguar is the American. I don't know. Jaguar sounds very American to me because, like, jaguar sounds like that. Definitely. I mean, it's spelled jaguar. Just to be, I mean, whoever I say jaguar. That's also the way it's spelled. I'm but sure I, I'm that that's sure then the Brit British people. way, because, you know, Americans always have to do it differently. 
Anyway, no. back. If you're a listener, let us know which one do you say and which one is the British and which one is the American. Again, Asia is Team Jaguar and I'm Team Jaguar. But anyway, just incident. Anyway, things back we to discover Jicks about each other on the podcast. Cat looking after light. I like Jix's character because he's very clever and he's just the right amount of charming. But at this point, he's kind of been like walking the line of right and wrong. And so I'm just hoping he ultimately does the right thing or I'll or I'll have to hate him, obviously, because if he's he has to be added to the naughty list with all the other evil characters. But so far. Yeah. If he sides with Mary, if he sides with Mary, he's gone. He's done for. He's off. He's gone. I agree. But so far, I do really like him. And the elephant in the room, are Jix and Jill going to have an enemies to lovers trope? Because as much as I hate Jill, and she's obviously a terrible person because she's been the main one killing children, I am a sucker for that kind of romance. But she's still terrible, so I don't think she deserves it. I'm here for it because I think it's going to humanize Jill to, like, feel connection. And, in fact, we see that play out throughout the reading by the end She's having second thoughts about reaping. I mean, she's still doing it, don't get me wrong. But he has already had an impact on her by the end, like when they get like that free time later. It's like they're like apart for 24 hours and she's like, I actually didn't reap anyone. So like she's he's already made her a better person. So I'm here for that. Well, also because she even says he kind of like helps her see that like she has more worth to her than just reaping yes because he's like oh you know you could have all these stealthy skills and like be smart but like you could use it for something that's actually good instead of you know killing children it's true it's true and before we get off this topic because i don't know if we'll bring up his excellency again but the person that jix serves jix mentions that he has another use for evercoins and I feel like that's going to be important in the next reading. Be- because I'm assuming we're going to meet His Excellency or at least find out more. And obviously the coins are super important because they let you get to the next place. They let you, you know, move on. So if he has a different use for them, that's probably going to be important. And I don't have any predictions as to what it's going to be, but I just wanted to flag that for our listeners that, like, I think that will come up again. Yeah, I'm sure it'll come up again. I like I said I honestly don't remember anything about I don't remember anything about the king his excellency like I have no idea who that is and what's going to happen so I'm also very curious should we take bets on where the city of souls is well it's in Mexico yeah well I actually don't know Mexican geography that well so yeah so I don't think that we should you're right (laughs) (laughs) that was I said that and I was like wait I'm very bad at Mexican geography I would not know where to go Okay, well, anyway, let's go back to romance. We were just there with Jill and Jakes. So, we haven't mentioned her yet, but Allie is on the front of the train. Remember, she was, like, strapped up, like, like the figurehead on the front of a ship to the front of this train. And she tells us that her plan is probably to skin Jack herself, eventually. Because now that she realizes she's alive, she's like, oh, I could skin Jack myself and, like, come back to life. But she's apprehensive about this because she doesn't necessarily want to leave Mikey behind. Like, she would only, she says, like, maybe if Mikey takes his coin, then, and goes on, then I could do it. But she doesn't want to leave Mikey. And I just want to say, that was super cute. Like, 
also that it was my prediction last week. Like we talked about how she might be able to skin jack herself. And I said, I don't think she's going to do it while Mikey's around because I think they want to be together. And so she might still do it, but I just want to say that so far my theory is correct. And I don't think she'll leave Mikey just to skin jack herself. Well, this feels like an appropriate time to mention that Jick says that skin jacking yourself just means that you end up stuck there. Like you basically just get to come back to life in whatever state you're in physically and you're done in Everlast. Especially since for Allie, she mentions that her body is 18 at this time. So if she were to somehow die again, she wouldn't be able to go back to Everlast. She would just go into the light. Yeah. And it's, you know, he specifically mentioned someone he knows that was paralyzed, I think. And so, yeah, like had brain damage. And so, yeah, you're taking a chance if like you have some sort of like brain damage or damage to your body. That is what you're going back to. And like, basically, by skinjacking yourself, you just you come back to life. You basically come back to life just in whatever state, whatever state your body's in. Whereas obviously in Everlast, you pretty much have no limits as an afterlife because you're a ghost. But I still think that for Allie, at least, I feel like she wants to live. Like, I don't know. As a skinjacker, they definitely have more of that desire because they still have the connection to the living world. That's true. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's, it's not a, it's not out of the realm possibility for sure. I just, I'm still in the camp of she'll want to be with Mikey. Yeah, her love for Mikey. And obviously, you know, I love love. So I'd be fine with that decision too. But since we're talking about love, I wanted to bring up more proof that I have that Mary does not love Milos. And I have a quote. In her book, Tips for Taps, Mary Hightower has this to say about human emotions. We in Everlast are bound by many of the same emotions that we had in life. Joy and despair, love and hate, fear and contentment. Only skinjackers, however, who still have access to flesh, are cursed with those unwholesome feelings brought on by biology, which includes all forms of burning desires. They should be pitied, because unlike the rest of us, they are closer to animals. Animals. She's comparing skinjackers to animals. So clearly she can't love Milos when she doesn't even respect skinjackers. She thinks of them as less than, as not even human, basically. So, and so she's obviously just using them to her advantage to, you know, reap more followers for her so she can, again, follow through on her plan of killing all of human life. I mean, she's truly, like, off the deep end. Like, she's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Like, That's why I said evil. E-V-I-L, all caps, terrible. Also, I do think it's really funny that she's, like, she's dehumanizing skinjackers for having human emotions. And she's like, you know yeah, what? Exactly. Us ghosts who are not humans, we're, we're, we're the higher life form. I'm like, you're not even alive. Again, she's insane. I mean, my favorite thing about, like, I, I should have pulled the quote. Oh, it's what, the one which she's talking about skin uh, scar wraiths. And she says, scar wraiths aren't real. They don't exist. There's, you've heard this legend about them. They totally aren't real. There's no way that you could be alive and dead at the same time, even though we literally have skin jackers. So she's, but she, like, goes, like, writes a whole paragraph of how they're unreal. And she's like, 
Again, scar rates are not real. If you see one, report it to your authorities. I'm like, girl, you're so full of it. Like, she literally says, spends this all this time basically pretending something is not real because it doesn't fit into her worldview. And then she's like, but if you see it, remember to let me know so I can, like, control it. Like, Yeah, it's just very much, like, dictator, like... Mad dictator vibes. Like, or leader of a cult. Like, it's just... She knows what she's doing. Which is like I said, it's just, it's the definition of evil. Like. Yeah. Absolutely. Also to like your point about her not loving Milos, because like she's not. This is what I wanted to mention when I was talking about this earlier. Like the way that she can't love Milos is that Milos thinks that he can like replace her love for Nick by sucking up to her. Which is like stupid. So again, I already mentioned that like, Nick and Mary have this super transactional view of relationships. And not Nick. Milos and Mary have this transactional view. But in particular, Milos is talking about how he wants to replace Nick in her affections. But that's completely ignoring Mary's personality. Because she is in love with Nick in spite of them being enemies. Like, they completely fundamentally disagree on everything. And they want to run the world in different ways. But they're still in love with each other. So Milos's idea of, like, I'm just going to, like, get her a bunch of afterlights and that's going to make her happy is so far off. Because that clearly that's not what she wants. She, needs a, she doesn't need a partner who worships her because she has 100 people, but 1,000 people that do that anyway. <laughs> she needs a partner who intellectually challenges her. Now, now that I've said that, I don't mean I, she didn't needs to be eliminated. She's insane. She's evil. I'm not saying she should get a happy ending with a partner who intellectually challenges her. I don't think that she deserves that. She's evil, irredeemable, done. But as an intellectual exercise, Milos is not even a good fit for her because he doesn't understand her at all. If I was writing an English paper on this book, that's what I would say, is that... Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. Like, I completely agree. Thanks. I'm glad. (laughs) <laughs> I had a lot of thoughts on this. I was like, be- again, this whole, like, replacing the heart, like, made me think a lot of things. But I was like, I have a lot to say on how Milos isn't even a good fit for Mary, even if I wanted Mary to have a happy ending. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, like I said, I agree. Okay, good. So, <laughs> since we're on Mary, it's Mary's psycho-insane plan to kill all of humanity. And so we get this really annoying, I mean, I thought it was annoying, and boring interlude about how Allie is, like, justicing this guy, Seth, who, like, he very clearly committed this murder, but, like, she goes in his brain and he can't remember anything. So, like, he didn't commit the murder, like, he didn't intend to, but it turns out his body was used for it. And then Allie realizes, oh, my God, if he was skinjacked, that would explain why he, like, basically definitely committed this murder and there's all this proof. But he has no memory of it, because when you're skinjacked, if the skinjacker puts you to sleep, you have no memory of it. And the evil skinjackers have been doing this. They've been committing crimes that have killed a bunch of people, and they're re- to reap all over Texas. And the skinjack, the skinjacky or the fleshy doesn't even remember it, which is, I mean, not saying that they should, like, remember a murder that they didn't commit either. Like, that's not fair either. But, like, 
Can you imagine, like, you're 100% sure that you did not commit this crime, but, like, literally all the evidence proves it? And your body did it, but you, as yourself, did not do it? You have no recollection? No, yeah, it's... And Milos is like, there's no pay, well, there's no cost for the fleshies. Especially as he, like, gets more to Mary's beliefs, they, he doesn't think they have value. don't value the, like, fleshies as people. Like, they think of them as less than them. The only humans that count are ghosts. Yeah, the only humans that count are children ghosts because there are no adult ghosts in Everlast. So the only people that matter are the afterlights. Mm -hmm. But, yes, with this, I was actually kind of surprised that it took Allie that long to realize that, like, the fire and all these things that were happening, or not all the things, but specifically the fire with the kid that she helped, that, like, she didn't think about the fact that it was the reaping by Milos and his gang, which I think that was just kind of to show. But I don't think she knew that was happening. Like, she kind of... She didn't know that they were reaping. Because remember, they don't do it with her. Or did they offer... No, because they wouldn't offer for her to come with them, because they obviously if she skinjacked, she could get away. No, but she knew that they were doing it. I mean, she saw when they did it the first time when she was in the kid. Like, she knew that they killed children. When she was stuck inside the boy and Milos killed him to free her. She obviously, I, she kind of mentions like in her thoughts during this part when she's like trying to save this kid who is the one who like started the fire, but he was skin jacked while it happened. She says like, she's like, I feel like there's something more to this, but like right now I just need to focus on the task at hand of like freeing this kid. So I think she was kind of like blocking her thoughts from it because she didn't want to think that like they would do something so terrible. Like they're, yeah. Basically committing, like, mass murders of children. So, like, I think for her, it, but it, I just thought it was interesting because, again, Ali's supposed to be this really smart character, and a couple times now it's taken her a while to realize something, but I think at least for this one, it was more so she was, like, in denial or, like, didn't want to see it. I mean, I didn't realize it until it was revealed, until the end of that chapter. I w- that whole chapter, I was so bored. I was like, I don't care about this boy. When she was talking about the, you didn't think... <clears throat> Because we knew as the reader that, like, the reapings were happening, right? Yeah, but right? I didn't realize. I just thought he was innocent. I was like, I don't know. I I tr- I mean, I was like. Oh, well, I, immediately, because this is too, she was skinjacking this one girl who they were, like, trying to figure it out. And she, like, saw the kid on TV and they were like, he looks like he's innocent. Because they said, like, he had tattoos and stuff, but, like, none of his tattoos had fire in them. So, like, doesn't seem like he would be, like, an arsonist. Whatever, and so... That's what I was saying. I was like, her, he's like, clearly innocent. So, I was... So, but, like, they said they had that, like, his fingerprints were on it, and I don't know. I guess I just, again, I'm... To me, like, the plot is, like, once you get to a certain point, it's pretty predictable that I was like, oh, well, clearly this kid was skinjacked, and that's why he doesn't remember, and that's why there's witnesses who saw him starting the fire, but obviously he didn't do it because he was skinjacked. Also, like, wasn't it a fire at a school... They're trying to kill tons of children all at once. Well, it made sense once it was revealed, but I didn't think of that far ahead. I think you're just not as invested invested enough in the story, which is why you don't see anything coming. <laughs> rude. <laughs> I mean, true, but rude. Well, don't hate on Allie and I because we're just trying to make it through. I also, like, maybe this is also why I didn't realize it. This whole time... Like, Allie is, she's doing this justice thing. Like, she's figuring out that he didn't kill, like, he didn't remember it. But also, like, she's comforting all the families. Once she realized what Milos and crew were doing, and she's, like, comforting the families, 
that was really, really hard for me to read. So just for listener context, depending on when you listen to this, we re- I read this the week after the mass shooting in Uvalde where those school children were killed. And that's obviously, we have a massive gun death problem in the United States as it is. doesn't matter mass shoot like mass shooting that makes the headlines or not. I mean, obviously this is like Buffalo, Uvalde, Tulsa, Philadelphia again today, the day we're recording. Like it's stuff like that, that obviously it's right now, particularly in the front of our periphery, but specifically Uvalde when I was reading this, because those were children that were killed. And I was I was honestly having a hard time reading this particular portion where they were killing the children because it it just felt very hard for me to read because it was what we were kind of going through in real life at the same time. And maybe that's why I was a little slow on the uptake because I that was something that like was particularly clouding my thoughts when I was reading this reading. Like it's really hard that Allie is comforting parents in a fictitious world and we have, you know, children dying in schools in the richest country in the world. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially in the final, like one of the final scenes of the reading where they're like going to drop the moose squirrel and Milos and all the people, Mm -hmm. they like skin jacked construction workers and they're going to drop like a heavy load of like metal on top of a playground at a school. And they've like gotten all the children onto the playground because they're just going to kill like hundreds of children along with, like, destroying the playground so that it'll cross into Everloss. And it is, like, yeah, very hard to read when that's actually happening in our reality. And it's already hard to read on its own. But, yeah, I just, I do think that's, again, very interesting because I didn't remember it being like this at all as a kid. But you're an adult now. And I think that is a difference as as a kid you're not thinking of, like, oh, this is a fictitious book, like, it's not real. Whereas, like, you become an adult and you're like, no, like, especially in the world we live in now, like, Kids get killed at school all the time. Apparently, that's a normal thing here in America. And people don't care because we don't do anything to change that. But, yeah, it is definitely makes something like this harder to read and a much heavier topic. Whereas, like, as a child and you're reading it, you're not necessarily thinking about that. But also, I mean, maybe for kids nowadays, if they did read this book, it could be too triggering for them because of the realities they face now in school than when when we were in school. Yeah, and it's not even like there weren't mass shootings when we were in school. I mean, uh, what was it? Sandy Hook was when we were in, like, middle school? Yeah, like our eighth grade? Uh, Middle school, high school, yeah. End of middle school, beginning of high school. It was 2012, I think. It was 2012. So... I mean, I know, like, the major mass shooting was Columbine, which was like the nineties, the nineties. Yeah. But like, I feel like obviously it's just increased a lot. And obviously with the expansion of like social media and everything, like things are just more covered. So people are way more aware of it, but yeah, it is like, I can't imagine. I think that you could, like you would be affected differently reading this as a child now. I would agree. Than when, than when I read it, you know, over like a decade ago. Sorry. I didn't mean to make it super dark, but that was something that I couldn't help thinking about while I was reading this, and I did think that we should talk about it, especially given the light of, like, when this episode is releasing. Like, that is part of our cultural zeitgeist right now, How no matter how messed up that is. So I'm, I'm glad that we addressed it, because 
I think it would have been improper for us not to do that. Since we are talking about children being exterminated. Yes, at a mass level. But to go... Reset, reset, reset. A lighter topic now. Let's go ahead and discuss the Wurlitzer jukebox, which this is a crossed over jukebox into Everlast that the Neons, which is that group in Texas that like kidnaps some of the afterlights from Mary's kids. And the Neons worship this jukebox and they give it the Everlast coins so that it will play a song and they'll like ask it a question and they think it's giving them some sort of profound answers through the song that it plays. And that's why the Neons wanted to steal coins from like the afterlights. Like they want to take their coins so that they can give it to Wurlitzer, the jukebox. Which is such a red flag because so predictions and divine answers, they're like horoscopes. They're all fun and games, but you really shouldn't make your life decisions based on them because they're subjective and they're vague and they're written in such a way that they feel like they can be applicable to anybody. Like, I mean, I'm a Capricorn and I fit really well into what is a stereotypical Capricorn, but like, I don't make my life decisions based on that because it's vague. It's meant to make you feel seen And like a jukebox playing lyrics that vaguely answer a question that you ask it. Like, it's just very clear that that can't be real or good. Like, it can't be trusted. And Jix really, he crystallizes this for us, which is one of the reasons that, like, I like Jix. Like, he's smart. Like you mentioned, he says, you know, like, Evercoins are good because they release you into the light. Anything that's going to take those coins away from an afterlight has to be bad. And, like, that was, it reminded me so much of in the last book when Johnny and Nick, they are traveling and they're giving coins to afterlights. And Johnny's like, you know what, what we're doing must be good because our bucket keeps refilling itself. Like, Everlast keeps giving us more coins to free more children when they're ready. And that's clearly a sign that we're doing the right thing. And the same way, it was kind of felt like the very same logic where Jix was like, if the coins are good and this machine eats the coins, then the machine must be bad. And I was like, you know what, Jix? You're absolutely right. Go you. Well, speaking of Jix saying that something that takes your Everlost coin is bad, my favorite moment from this reading is some shade towards Mary, which in one of her books, Mary writes that objects of power are things that A, take something of value from you, B, claim to know things it can't possibly know, and C, draws followers like rotting meat in the living world draws flies, which is basically a pretty good description of the Wurlitzer jukebox that we just talked about, the Neons Worship, but there's a footnote under this that Allie points out in one of her books that the description Mary just gave for objects of power is actually a pretty accurate description of Mary herself, which I think is just, again, the best way to throw shade at her. Because like you just said, Jick said, something that takes like your Everlast coin, something that's probably your most valuable thing that you have with you in Everlast, which Mary has done from the beginning. She steals children's coins. Bad. She claims to know things that she can't possibly know. Like you mentioned earlier, her saying that scar wraiths don't exist, but at the same time saying, oh, if they do, like, report them, like, just trying to control information. And then she clearly draws followers. 
So I just thought that was so funny because, again, we hate Mary here because she is literally terrible. But I thought it was a very great way of literally just using Mary's own words against her. Oh, yeah. That was probably the best line in the whole book. Like, it might actually be my favorite line in the whole series so far. Like, I just thought <laughs> yeah. it was also just, like, such an alley thing. Like, I just, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Which actually, I think, takes us to our final reaping conflict. So we kind of alluded to this earlier, but all the characters make it to San Antonio where Milos, Squirrel, and Moose are reaping. And they're going to drop construction materials on children in a playground to cross the playground over and also reap a bunch of children. Yes, and first, Jill, Jix, Mary's casket, and then Neons, they're still in their little, like... Are they still in the Alamo? I don't think they're still they're in the They're still Alamo. in the Alamo, I think. I thought they were going somewhere. Doesn't They might have left. I wait, can't isn't, remember. Isn't because didn't Jix take over, and now they're, like, going to the City of Souls? Yes, they're going to the City of Souls. So they leave, and they're going to the City of Souls. But yes, Milo and his crew are reaping, and Nick is there, which during this, Nick actually has, like, stumbled upon Milos, and he started to become more human, but then Milos was lying to him, like, telling him that you, he loved Jill, and he wasn't, um, he wasn't born into Everlast, like, normal afterlights. He's just always existed, like, he's a monster. So they've been telling him all these lies, which at first, like, keeps Nick, like, under, like, in this kind of, like, delusion like he doesn't know who he is but the more that Milos actually lies to him the lies actually begin to make Nick remember more about himself and remember more about his reality so it kind of backfires on him which is good because like I need something good to happen to Nick because like at this point he's just like a liability at this point (laughs) yeah it totally backfires on Milos like his lies make Nick remember more specific details and it's honest, honestly because Milos, it's mostly because he's so obsessed with Mary. And, like, he hates the idea that Nick remembers Mary. And so he literally tries to, like, trick him out mm-hmm. of that. And he sees that that makes Nick less defined. But Nick is like, I've literally... Ne-, but because Milos goes way too hardcore, Nick's like, I've literally never met anyone named Jill. And so then he starts to realize. And then that also brings back more of Nick's personality, and then he realizes that he doesn't approve of the reaping either. Meanwhile, Allie shows up, and she foils most of the reaping. She stops them from getting most of it done. One child does die, but that was... I'm not saying that was an acceptable sacrifice, because it wasn't, obviously, but, like, she definitely... But the child at least went into the light. They weren't able to pull him into Everlast, so he got where he was going. And then Mikey shows up, and he reunites with Allie, and this was what I needed. Besides the sass from earlier, this was the best moment. Like, because he's like a monster and he's scaring them all away and then he sees Allie and like his afterlight glow turns purple and he becomes a human again because he loves her so much. I was like, this is exactly what I needed. Yeah, they're cute but it's still like grossing me out that Allie's like when she sees Mikey coming up, it's like this huge monster. Like her afterlight glow turns purple and I'm like, that's nasty but you know, it's love I guess. It's a Beauty and the Beast situation. You know, I hate, like, Beauty and the Beast is should not happen in real life. I mean, no, but, you know, if if he was Dan Stevens, you understand why. If it was who? In the live action Beauty and the Beast, the person who plays the Beast, Dan Stevens, 
I don't he's think so I ever gorgeous. saw the live action Beauty and the Beast because I haven't seen live action either. I just know he's also for a majority of the movie. <laughs> I don't think I've seen the animated beast, one either. So again, that was a movie out of all of the Disney princess movies. That one should not have been made into a live action because it's just literally highlighting bestiality and it's disgusting. So moving on <laughs> to wrap, <laughs> to wrap really up the reading. Squirrel gets extinguished by the Scar Wraith, which we met earlier, which I should probably explain this because we haven't really mentioned him at all so far. So basically a Scar Wraith is someone that probably was in some sort of accident where a part of their body died. And so this Scar Wraith that we met, which to be honest, I don't remember. His name is Clarence. Clarence. I was like, I don't remember his name. His name is Clarence. And... I think it's Mikey and Nick come across him and yes. Clarence actually captures Mikey and Nick in like this ever lost trap because he's, he used to be a firefighter and basically I think his arm burnt off and like one half of his face. So with his like burnt hand and eye, he's able to see into Everlast. So he can see the afterlights, and he's able to touch them with his dead hand. Like, he doesn't, it doesn't pass through. So basically, a scar wraith is basically the idea of that you're existing in the living world and Everlast at the same time. You can see both. And so obviously, this is like kind of drove him a little bit insane. But the legend of scar wraiths in Everlast is that if a scar wraith touches an afterlight, they'll just cease to exist. No, like, flash of light, no going down the tunnel to, like, heaven, hell, whatever you believe in. You just cease to exist. So, like, a terrible, terrible thing, probably, like, the worst thing that could happen to you is basically what it's described as. So, Mikey is able to kind of talk Clarence into helping them, but he doesn't tell him that, like, if he touches one of them that they're going to extinguish And so he's trying to, like, get to Milos, but, of course, Milos is a coward and hides behind Squirrel. And Clarence reaches her Squirrel, ends up touching him with the dead hand, and Squirrel just disappears, ceases to exist. And that extinguishing is a cosmic shift in Everlast. Like, it's basically described as, like, a total reverb, and every interlight wakes up. So normally interlights always have to stay asleep for nine months. They all wake up, including... Mary, which is gross, (laughs) gross. Also such an ominous cliffhanger to go into the next reading as we finish the next, the series like, ugh, the villain is back. Literally awful. I mean, I was definitely enjoying the reading without annoying Mary pretentious. Oh, totally. Also because like Milos is like trying to like be Mary, but he's like bad at it, which is extra funny. He's like trying to like be nice to the interlight to afterlights. And they're like, you're a creep. And we're leaving. We're getting off this train. And he's like, but, like, Mary would want you to stay. Like, and it's kind of funny to, like, see him failing at that. But now we're going to have Psycho Mary back. And she's going to be like, gotta kill everybody. Also, because just, like, side note, like, all of Mary's children, like, the kids are devoted to her. It's honestly, like, really, that's also really to me, like, terrifying to read. Because, like, the kids who are like, we're going to go down with her. Like, when the train gets, the train gets dislodged from the tracks and is derailed. Some of the kids who are in the train car with Mary's glass coffin are like, we couldn't get her out. So we're just going to sink with her. Like what kind of blind devotion is that? Like nobody should deserve that kind of devotion. Like it's very like creepy. Yeah, I agree. 
So I'm not looking forward to her being back in the story and us having that in live action. Also, she's super annoying and she's super sanctimonious. And we already had enough of her in her little like reading excerpts. So I'm yeah, I'm not excited to have her back. (laughs) Sorry, she's annoying. It's true. So do you have any other final thoughts before we wrap up? Yes, this is something I was thinking from the very beginning. Are we ever going to find out what happened to Zinn, the Reaper? She also got, she's the one who she, got pulled into the Reaper, living world with Reaper. Mary. We haven't heard anything from her. And like I said, I do not remember anything, but I would hope that before the book ends, we'll get something of her. Otherwise, to me, like, that's a plot hole. Like, what happened to her? Especially, like, she's from, like, a century. Two centuries ago. No, a century Two ago. Because what was she? She's what, from, the, she was she's from fun, the Civil War. Civil War. So a century and a half. So yeah. So a century and a half. Well, we're coming up on two. We're getting Wait. close. Yes. Okay. Yes. So almost two centuries, but I mean, from when this book was written, whatever. But still, I'm saying like, how would she have survived in the living world? Just appearing out of nowhere, having no family, having no one to turn to. Like, I'm just, to me, if that's not mentioned, that's going to be a plot hole for me. But I am betting on the fact that it is getting mentioned because we still obviously have the whole second half of the book. Yeah. Also, we do have to, we saw one big plot hole that hasn't been mentioned is the guy who in the very first book, he, I think he's like Mary's second, oh, Stradivarius. Very. Very. The and new he McGill. he calls himself the McGill and he goes off on the boat. Yeah, I definitely think he's also going to come back at the So end. those are the two things that we so need to track. So those are two things. For our last reading. Yes. So if you do, you know, track it with us. And if you read along, we're going to finish Everfound for next week. So if you read along, finish, to the, finish this one, read it to the end. And that will finish the whole series. And now we can announce the next series that we'll be covering on Throwback Paperback. Yes. We are going to be reading... Dun, 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 the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. You're supposed to applaud, Asia. I'm not that excited. It's yeah. yet another fantasy novel. <laughs> It'll be fine. Okay, but I've at least... the, the Chronicles of Narnia is a literal classic. I know. It's a classic. It's iconic. I've seen them at least like two of the movies, but there's seven books and it's fantasy. Because it's seven books. Yes, it is fantasy. I was like, let me see if it's... No, it's very fantasy. But so that means I'm about to be bored for classic young adult books. <laughs> and yes, as Asia said, because it's seven books, we're not going to divide each book into two episodes because that would literally be like over three months of episodes. And the books are pretty short, uh, right? The books are pretty short. So we're going to cover each book in one week. So we have next week, we're going to finish Everfound. And the following week, we're going to read The Magician's Nephew, which is the first book in the series. We're going to read the books in the chronological order of the series, one through seven, rather than in publication order. Most people that are vaguely familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia probably know The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. What's the publication order? I can't remember, but The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe comes first. It's also obviously the most famous. Yeah. It's one that's had the most movies made out of it. It's definitely the most famous. But we're going to read it in the Chronicles of Narnia order, which makes the most sense. Yeah. So, anyway, 
We're going to start with The Magician's Nephew. We'll read the whole thing in one week. Again, it's not that long we're reading, and, you know, Asia will be giving you summaries, so... Oh, my gosh. Yay for that. But I'm really excited. This was also a listener suggestion. It's actually been on our list for a while, and it's something that, like, I've read it, like, probably close to once a year for a long time. My family, when we were on road trips... We would listen to the audiobooks of it. There's, like, excellent British audiobooks of it, and it's a bunch of famous British actors reading it. Like, the first one, Magician's Nephew, is Kenneth Branagh, like, director of Thor. He was Gilderoy Lockhart in the Harry Potter movies. He was Henry V in the very famous Henry V Shakespeare movie. Like, one of the most famous British actors, and he's reading the audiobook. So, my point is, my family read, listened to those audiobooks on road trips, like, all the time, like all the time. And I've read the books a hundred times. I've obviously seen the new Disney movies. So I'm really, really excited. And then a listener wrote to us and they were like, are you guys going to cover the Chronicles of Narnia? And we're like, that's it. Got to do it. So yay. I'm so excited. You guys, can you tell? (laughs) Well, it's nice to hear you excited about something since you completely bored and just traumatized. (laughs) By this series? I'm traumatized by Asia's dark books. One thing I will say, Chronicles of Narnia, not that dark until the last book. Yeah, I would I would guess that it's probably not too dark. But I think that wraps up the episode then. It does. So if you have any predictions, theories, or questions, remember that you can always stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty or facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at asia.bonia on Instagram and TikTok. And I'm at seashells on Instagram. And remember that if you enjoyed our show, make sure you rate it, review it, share it with your friends or your enemies. And check out the other awesome podcasts that we have on the Nerd Party Network and subscribe so you don't miss us next week. Yep. Hit that subscribe and have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the Nerd Party.